The first homicide of 2018 in Allentown, Pennsylvania took place January 1st, a little after midnight. It also took place in my living room, in my house. The ball dropped, the shots popped, the bodies dropped. Now here's the story of how it all went down, including the cops finding my sex toys. Enjoy. Gee, this shooting happened not long after midnight. It took place inside a house during a New Year's Eve party. And tonight, police are still searching for that shooter. A group of people rented this house on Turner Street through Airbnb to host a New Year's Eve party. And 40 minutes after the ball dropped, two people were shot, leaving one dead. A source who claims they were at the party here on Turner Street said they heard seven shots and then everyone started to run. Hi, welcome to the Living Large and Art podcast. This is the prologue to the Murder at the Mini Mansion series, which will be just a couple short ones. But what happened, there was a murder at my house. This was a couple minutes. This is less than an hour into 2018 on January 1st. There was a party at my house that was not supposed to be happening there and a couple people got dropped and one went off to the other world and the other one's still kind of fucked up from what I understand. Anyway, how we got to that point is my house, the mini mansion, 1873 Italian Victorian. If you go to my Facebook page, Mike or Max Marvin, there's a link there to my old Airbnb listing and you can look at pictures of it. Um, what happened was I had bought the house at one point I'd inherited some money and I did some extensive renovations I was carrying uh, a lot of debt and it was I was getting by but then one of my uh, revenue streams dried up so it was looking pretty damn bleak now in the old Allentown historic district where the house is they have house tours and mine was on there three different times. The final time that it was on there, um, I got together with some other people on my block, and we had five houses on one block, which was pretty unheard of. So it made it real easy for people to get around. The weather was real nice. As you can tell from traffic, we're up here in the skybox, high above Highway 309. And there was a food truck across the street. There was a coffee... Um, vendors set up in front of my house. I had live music in the living room. And there ended up being uh, 600 people that came to the house just that one day. And I always enjoyed doing the house tour. You know, people looking at your house and coming up and saying, man, I like this and then I like that. Uh, a few people obviously didn't like what I'd done with it. It was pretty unique. If you look at the pictures, you'll see that. There's a uh, chest-high urinal in the bathroom. The shower, when you walk past the urinal, was six feet by four feet with four shower heads with two great big windows that looked over the yard right in downtown Allentown. Um, but I remember remarking after the last house tour I was on with the 600 people coming through that there's got to be a way to monetize that, that 
good feeling and turn it into money and I went this Airbnb thing which at that point was still relatively new um, I thought that was the way to go but I assumed that as a host you had to be in the house and maybe even have to cook them fucking breakfast or something which I definitely didn't want to do but looking into it I realized I could uh, either rent a room or I could rent the whole house and there was no breakfast involved, which I thought was great. So what I did was I set the thing up and um, I was doing whole house rental and room rental, cut the room rental out immediately because no one really seemed interested. I mean, why would you want to be there with my creepy ass there? And it was also financially stupid because if I'm renting a room out for 69 a night when I was renting the whole house out for 175 a night, um, on a weekday and 275 on a weekend. It just didn't make any sense. So anyway, um, I listed it became instantly popular. I was getting 10 to 15 looks per day on average. And if I pimped it on Facebook, as many as 300. But I was just instantly busy. And I did very well with it. It was working out financially. It was a pain in the ass. Um, initially, it was enjoyable because people were cool. They came in, they treated the house like it was my house. Um, I met some very interesting people. The lead singer and the percussionist for Cirque du Soleil. I can't remember which one it was. It was one that ran for 15 years and just ended, but they stayed at the house. I may have gotten them some weed, but keep that on the DL. Um, we went and got a backstage tour the first night of the show, and then two nights later, Mary and I got to go actually backstage in the warm-up area and watch the entire show for nothing. And that was, that, that's got to be way up there on the life list of things that, number one, not many people get to do, and number two, it was really cool to watch everybody who had anything physical to do come back and do it before the show backstage. And, um, to see how some people, like the clown, who was extremely unfunny, just not interact with anybody, and other people that were very sociable, and they would uh, they were teaching each other their returns, their routines and things like that. Uh, there's the, the Russian swing or the Georgian swing. It's where they you know, go back and forth and flip through the air from one thing to another, land on each other's shoulders. That uh, is apparently the most extremely dangerous thing in the entire show um, so during their warm-up they had uh, the whole setup back behind the stage and they muffed it and when they were on stage actually uh, usually during the show because you there was a couch set up a couple of couches actually and a, a big screen TV and a DVR so people could come back and they could rewatch what they'd done or the coach could come back, or whatever he was, floor manager. Uh, usually no one really paid much attention to the TV, but when the Russian swing dudes were out there, Georgian swings, there was a lot of people watching, just because there was that uh, possibility that someone's going to get real fucked up. But nobody did. It was interesting to me after the show that uh, when they went out, and everybody goes out and takes a bow, and you hear, everybody run back behind the curtain. 
then they go out and they take their bow again. And then I heard and running and running and running. They're getting closer and closer and closer to the backstage. I'm going, what the fuck is going on? Is somebody out there with a gun? Is everybody freaking out? And then these people come to the backstage area and they go tear ass and past us, turn the corner and go down the hallway. And that's when I realized they were running to the showers. They wanted to get to the showers before anybody else. So that's showbiz, folks. Um, there was those people. There was a, um, a Brazilian family of four that came and stayed for eight nights, nine days. And during their stay, the uh, Stupid Bowl was going on, Stupid Bowl 52, which was the Eagles and the Patriots. And I explained to the father that this was a big deal because it's the team that always wins that a lot of people hate because they always win and a team that never wins and they just have to be the local team so we took we we actually met the brazilians at a local restaurant and um the owners at the place were kind enough to plop us right in front of the big screen and luckily the game was um interesting enough that they could follow along and be um drawn into it because some of those you know football in general I don't particularly care for it just because there's so much stop and go, stop and go. And sometimes it gets into these arcane rule bullshit things, but that was a pretty good game just for anybody to watch if you knew the basics and uh, they got into it. So those were two of the highlights, but other than that, as you would expect, and as time went on, this got worse and worse. People would trash the place. Um, there was also a thing I called the pay it forward beer stash. I don't drink but people would leave beer in the refrigerator and i would show that when people came i was like look it's paid for a beer stash help yourself to anything you want it'd be cool if you left something different and to a large extent people were, were pretty cool with that i'd come sometimes and reopen the refrigerator when people had left and it was just jammed full of at the manners one point there must have been 15 different kinds of beer in there and then on the other hand, there was a group of medical students from the University of Philadelphia that stayed. And they brought cases of beer. And I heard one exclaim after I explained the pay-it-forward beer stash, what was going on. And he goes, look at all the beer we got. And I thought, yeah, fucking, there's only four of you. And you got two cases. They wiped the thing out. So it would ebb and flow. But as time went on, there was a lot more ebb. A lot less flow. People are just helping themselves. Uh, at one point, there was a pillow missing. And um, I, I, I gave up. I looked in the yard. <laughs> I looked all over the house. And, and so I texted the guy that was the contact for that group. Uh, they were here to do some lame, some really lame bike riding down the rail trail, super slow. And um, yeah, anyway, I said, I give up. Uh, you play and hide the pillow you win where the fuck is it and the text came back check the attic he was pretty drunk and i went yeah i saw the recycling bin and you guys really packed it away they, i mean they fucking the recycling bin was a 55 gallon not 55 but a 33 gallon trash can and that was full and this was over a couple days so there was nonsense like that there is uh, one group that left 13 different water bottles empty and full and partial all over the house, under beds. You'd find the, I'd find the little, those flossing things, those curved dealy bobs 
on the floor. People like floss their teeth and throw them on the floor. A piece of gum stuck to the furniture. Um, I I had a 3D 75-inch TV, and people would try to watch stuff in 3D that wasn't in 3D, like Netflix. So I had to hide all that stuff. And it was it just got more and more annoying. As time went on, I got uh, kind of ticked off with it. But one thing that, let's get back to the story, Mike. Okay, hey, how about I do that? So for New Year's Eve 2017, this guy gets a hold of me and um, he wants it for New Year's Eve and the day after. And I said, all right, look, I got a strict no parties policy. And, um, oh, don't worry about that, he says. Yeah, text back. You know, we're going back and forth through text and uh, Airbnb messaging. Oh, don't worry about that. Um, and then he, get, he gets a hold of me and says, you got a sound system. I said, what do you need a sound system for? It's not like you're going to have a party. Oh, no, 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 we're not even going to be here. And I said, okay, just let you know my neighbors watch the house when I'm not there. He goes, oh, you got to keep an eye on us. And I'm like, well, I'm just saying. Because it sounds like you're going to have a party. I'm not going to have a party. We're not going to be here. So um, I just had a real bad feeling, obviously, about this. Because usually I would just, I wouldn't even say anything. It's in the, it's in the house rules about not having a party. Um, oh, also, there was a music video shot there. Um, if you listen to this and you want a link to the music video that was shot there, I can uh, send that to you. Just get a hold of me through Micromax Marvin on Facebook, or if I, you know, if you got me through, you can get me through Messenger, or if you got my number, just text me and I'll send it to you. So these people were coming to shoot a music video, and they were just going to stay at my house and go to Centralia, which is a place here in Pennsylvania that's had a coal um, mine fire going on for 60 years, I believe. That was one of the locations that we're going to go to, and a re abandoned resort in the Poconos, of which if you look at the Living Large and Hard Instagram of mine and go back through, you'll see that I come across a lot of those and put pictures up. So they were staying at the house, and I said, you can use the house in the, in the video if you want. And they're like, oh, can we? I'm like, no, I don't want you to put my house in a fucking music video. Yeah, of course you can use it. And it ended up being in 80% of the uh, video. The music, the song itself, pretty lame, but it's kind of cool to still to see the mini mansion in a in a well done production and um there was neon sculpture in the house and neon signage and that became uh they turned their credits into faux neon so that was cool also one of the worst pieces of shit movies ever made it's called the reeves was made there um <laughs> really horrible I mean, not even bad enough that it's enjoyable. Just really, really bad. And it was an all-black horror production. And when the director came through to do a walkthrough and look at stuff, I said, look, if you need a creepy old white guy, I'm your man. And she went, well, we do need a gardener. So I do make a cameo in the movie, which I must say is the most frightening part of it. I mean, if you've seen me, you'll probably agree with that. If you haven't seen me when you see me, You'll probably agree with that. And uh, again, I can. I think it's still password protected for some fucking reason, even though nobody wants to see it. 
but I do have the password and I can throw you, you know, if you give enough of a shit that you're actually listening to this and you're interested, I'll throw you a link to that too. Um, I'll probably wonder, wow, how come the Reeves is blowing up all of a sudden? Because yeah, that was a piece of garbage. So anyway, uh, the mini mansion, gave the backstory on that. Also, this guy who is obviously going to have a party. Um, what I would do is turn my phone on, on uh, Do Not Disturb, except I would leave whoever was renting my place um, immune to that so they could call through in case they needed something in the middle of the night because um, I control the thermostat from my phone because otherwise there people would either, you know, they'd just run it up to 74 and leave it blasting around the clock. Um, that was usually the problem. So, went to bed. I don't really do the New Year's Eve thing. Haven't for a while. I did go to New York City once for New Year's Eve and that, I bailed on it. It was like four hours before the thing started. I was five blocks away. I was already getting crammed in and realizing that uh, with the amount I'd been drinking that to get to the Portageon and back a couple times wasn't really going to be fun. So anyway, bailed on that. But anyway, went to bed, fell asleep. Um, fireworks actually woke us up, not the ones downtown where my house is, was, but some, just some local privateers and looked at my phone and there was uh, 14 text messages. There were DMs on Facebook Messenger and I believe seven phone calls. So you can see where this is going. So this is a prologue to Murder at the Mini Mansion. Hello. As you can hear from the traffic noise, high above 309 here in Allentown, PA, at the Skybox. This is the Living Large and Hard podcast. This is part two of the three-part series about the murder that took place in my house, the mini mansion. Part one, uh, I covered why there was a party going on there where the murder actually occurred. It was during the party. Um, how I was renting the place out on Airbnb, and specifically in the house rules, it was forbidden to have a party, and this guy that was running it for New Year's Eve was obviously going to have a party. No matter what I said, he straight up lied and said, nope, no party. So at the end of the previous episode, I had awakened to my phone blowing the fuck up with text messages, um, messenger messages, phone calls, none of which I heard because I had it on Do Not Disturb. Um, and so therefore I was quite surprised to wake up and listen to messages and read messages about police, lots of police, ambulance, someone being stabbed, which was conjecture at that point because it was, um, it was a shooting. And um, the messages that escalated from, man, there's a lot of people out there. I don't want to cause trouble, but, you know, you may want to check this out. Man, I, I don't know why you're not getting back to me, but you should really... Um, I'm going to have to call the cops because there's just so many people and then so on and so forth. So anyway, I get up and I, I get and go and head to the house. And um, what I remember most was it was so cold that night. It was insanely cold. This is New Year's Eve 2017 going into 2018. So it was very early, like one o'clock by the time I got there. 
the street was cordoned off as I'd expected with um, this one-way cop car at the end so I knew how to go through the alley and park in the school across the street so that's what I did and um, walked up to the house and was quizzed as to why I was there and I said well I'm the homeowner um, the cop I was talking to I recognized from Lehigh Valley Phantoms games here I've had season tickets since the hockey team the Flyers affiliate came here and I see him regularly and I had noticed that he actually attended a game so the first thing I said was hey I saw you actually got to go to a game and he said yeah yeah right, good for you I said oh by the way because he had, you know, I said, what's going on? He goes, there was a shooting. And I said, was any of the people, any of the people that were shot, were they um, this Dre guy that rented the place? And he said, no. And I said, well, that's a fucking shame. Because, you know, obviously fucked my world up pretty good. Not as much the people that got shot and killed, but I don't know them. So what, what the fuck do I care? Um, I, I chatted with him a little bit, went inside and they looked, kind of surprised I was there told him who I was the cops and got through the foyer the door was already open I was told that I could not go any farther than just right there in the entryway because it was a crime ongoing crime scene so I was in looked in and I could tell that furniture had been moved the floor which is a hardwood floor was basically white because um, the streets had been brined and salted. I had salted my sidewalk and people had been tracking in. The number of people that were at the party uh, was estimated to be in the dozens. And I was told by the hockey cop that it was wall to wall, that there was 100 people, which uh, I don't know if I believe that. But anyway, I could tell the place was, was really fucked up. And... Um, talking to the cops and one looks at me and goes hey you're the barge guy and I went what the what's this guy talking about it was a sergeant and I go oh yeah because I used to sell police supplies and he was uh, one of the regulars at the cop shop and we had talked about my numerous trips to Ireland and I recounted how much I enjoyed being on a uh, converted barge and going down the canal and the river barrow so we ch chatted about that, asked him if he'd ever been there, and, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And then I went and um, asked when I could get back in. They said, well, you're going to have to call Detective So-and-so. Uh, once you get the okay that it's no longer a crime scene, they'll let you in. So um, I headed back out, said goodbye to cop, uh, hockey cop, went home, well, went to Mary's, tried to get some sleep, which didn't work out real swell got up early the next day and um got a hold of the detective left a message actually because they were busy and went over to the house just on the offhand chance that when i called and actually got an answer from the detective i could go in and noticed that um the front window front door was made of different beveled glass panels. The bottom right one had been kicked in. Actually, I noticed that the night before, but I forgot about it till now. Um, so I went up and the keys to the place were in there. So obviously the dude had been back to clean the place. 
is what I was told. Um, but when I was there and I went across the call, the uh, detective and then NBC 10 showed up from Philadelphia, who was there uh, actually on the night of the incident and had a um, pretty in-depth little broadcast. They even showed my Airbnb page. They knew it was an Airbnb party. <coughs> Sorry about that. And um, so they had all that information instantly. They must have known somebody inside. They knew you know, how many people got shot and all that kind of stuff, and that there was a murder. And they actually came up from Philly to do it. And they were there the next day to get more footage. So I just, I didn't want to deal with it. Believe it or not, I didn't want to talk to the press. I was really worried that this essential income that I was getting by on from Airbnb was going to get shut off. Because that's all that a uh, city needs uh, on an issue like... Uh, I'm watching these cars go by. On an issue like Airbnb is that someone gets murdered you know, during a house party. And I was worried about that. I hadn't slept. Um, oh yeah, someone got murdered in my living room. That kind of weighed on me. So I um, took off, parked around the corner. Didn't want to even see them out uh, videoing in, in front of my house with their TV cameras and shit. And got a hold of the detective and he said, yeah, it's, it's clear that you can go in it's all been uh, the crime, the investigation, whatever, the CSI, whatever the heck they are. Forensics is all done in there. And uh, feel free to go in. So I went back. NBC 10 was still dicking around, so I waited. And then I went in. Man. <laughs> and that place was a mess. Um, I've said this many times since. I'm actually glad there was the shooting at around 1230. Because if that party would have continued, my house would have been absolutely fucking destroyed. There was the aforementioned broken window. There was a broken lock on the front door. The um, office chair in the up in the main in the media room was broken. There was butcher paper in the side porch, which was all glassed in. And a chair was out there. I don't know if they were giving lap dances or, or what the hell was going on. I was told by a neighbor who directly across the street that it, at one point there is people lined up to get in. So I'm guessing they were charging admission. There was beer everywhere, up every single wall. Apparently when the, when the gunshots were, when people started running um, or both, they just threw their shit and took off. So there was just beer everywhere. Someone had dumped out a hookah bowl on top of uh, part of my drum kit, and that had burned through the top of the of the bass drum and then down through the bottom and burnt the hardwood floor. Um, what else was going on in there? Now, so I, like I said, it was there was salt from people tromping around. You know, who, dozens and dozens at least of party goers. Uh, who knows how many cops, upstairs, everywhere. It was just, that was the biggest thing that I saw was how messed up that was. Um, there was stuff spilled. There was furniture moved. Um, I went up into the media room, into what was my closet, and uh, looked on the top shelf and went, 
Oh, boy. Uh, where I had carefully hidden my adult fun things had been moved over and all that stuff was on display. So apparently when the police were doing their search, they had uh, come across my stash of adult fun things. And talking to Hockey Cop one time, and I was just talking about the house and I said, oh, so this in there, you know, this, he goes, that was a cool house. I'm like, yeah, this, that. And he goes, I I go, you already looked, you already looked around that anyway, right? He goes, oh yeah, we looked everywhere with a grin on his face. I'm like, okay, good on you. Um, so I started cleaning. I mean, the, it was a dozen times that I cleaned this floor between wet mopping, dry mopping, wet drop mopping, dry mopping, dry mopping, vacuuming. Oh, over and over and over. Um, as I had said, NBC 10 came up from Philly that night and came back the next day. The local paper, the morning call, which you local people know is nothing but a big fucking joke. Um, I was in the process of one of my mopping and unmopping and remopping adventures with the floor. And I looked down the long hallway through the front, through the foyer door and the front door, and there's someone at the door. The doorbell rang, had rung. And I thought, oh, that looks like Fatominal, my neighbor. And I started walking out. I go, no, that looks like Gary, my neighbor. And I went there and I realized it was neither. So I unlocked the door, opened it up. I go, yeah, what can I do for you? And uh, this older dude said, I'm here from the morning call. I want to talk to you about the murder. And I said, what murder? He said, the one on New Year's Eve. I go, hmm, I don't know anything about that. And he, (laughs) fucking idiot. This is real hard-hitting journalism, you know, deep investigative reporting. He leans back, looks up at the house and goes, huh, I could have sworn this was it. I saw it on TV. Wow. You know, really? Make the effort. And I said, nope, I wasn't even here. Because he he asked which house it was. I said, I wasn't even here. Which, you know, that part was true. And he went on his way. I closed the door, locked it in his face, and he walked off. And he, you know, had his shoulders hunched over and walking away. He looks back one more time at the house. You know, got it. It had to be it. I saw it on TV. So the morning call didn't have shit. They didn't have the address. None of that crap. Um, so that pretty much wraps up the actual showing up at the crime scene and the immediately after. Um, in the next part, I'll get to what went down, why it went down. And then um, I actually ended up having to testify two years later about it. I didn't know that they'd even caught the goofball that did the shit. So I ended up going to court not too long ago to testify in the trial. And I'll go over um, uh, what the charges were, what actually went down, like I said, that night. And the outcome of the wheels of justice slowly turning to their final conclusion. Hi there. Welcome to the Living Large and Hard podcast. As you can hear from the endless stream of traffic down below on 309, we're up here at the Skybox, Allentown, PA. This is the final part, the conclusion, the wrap-up. It'll be a shorty about murder at the mini-mansion. 
when a couple of fucks got blown away at my house a couple of years ago. A couple of fucks, a couple of years. Anyway, part one was me uh, going over why there was a party at the place and how there shouldn't have been a party at the place. And if people would just follow the rules, there wouldn't have been death. But they didn't because that's not what people do. And second part was uh, the state of the place when I finally got to go there and check it out and start cleaning the fucking mess up. I really don't give a shit that someone got killed there. Um, I never felt threatened. It had nothing to do with me. It had nothing to do with my house. It was just the place that that happened because those people were there and this uh, fucking goofball showed up. And um, what really pissed me off was the, the destruction and just how fucking dirty the place was. I mean, that was that was the worst part, was going there every day and cleaning for hours. Um, so what had happened was this guy had this party, and it was a huge party. I have no idea what platform, social media platform, the word went out on because um, I had the guy's contact info. I checked, of you know, it was young people, so of course it wouldn't have been on Facebook, but I checked anyway. I checked Instagram. Um, we had communicated on WhatsApp. There was nothing on there. I don't, I don't know how the word got out, but man, the word got out big. Um, as I'd said in episode two, there was uh, a report from my neighbor that there was a line of people outside. So to me, that means they were charging admission. From hockey cop who was inside, who was there, he said that um, that it was a hundred people. Which I mean, I've had parties there. Some of you have been to parties at my place, and I've also been on the house tour with dozens of people in the house at once. And uh, why well, technically, I guess it's possible to jam hundred in there. That's a lot. So it's it's all irrelevant anyway. So let's get to what actually happened. So this this party's going on. And this guy shows up. I don't really know the backstory on it. Because um, the trial went on for days. And when I went in to give testimony, which I'll get to in a bit, I was just, I was cooling my uh, heels in the hallway for over five hours. <sighs> like almost five and a half hours. And then I went in and I was, my testimony was like three or four minutes. <laughs> So, and this is after two years. So, so much about a swift, you know, decent trial. It was a decent trial. But anyway, um, during the party, this guy shows up. And from what I'd overheard out on one of the breaks, that this guy was just trouble. So anyway, at the party, somebody grabbed the guy's phone. And this is in the newspaper. And then uh, the quote was, he swung on me. So then he shot two fucking people. Yeah, I know. Makes a lot of sense. Um, and when I went in to give my testimony, uh, it just happened to be the same courtroom where I did my mass DUI uh, thing. Because when you do DUIs here in Lehigh County, it's it's so many people. It's frightening, actually, which was pointed out during my, um, my accelerated whatever the hell it is, but you go to these classes and, they, uh, and he, the judge said at that point, that's what it was, you should be frightened by how many people are here. Uh, she said, we do this, you know, five times a month 
and look how many you are and you're just the ones that got caught. So anyway, let's go back to what this is about, which is about the fucking murder in my living room. So anyway, the guy dropped a couple people. Um, the newspaper said, and that was a cool motorcycle. The newspaper said that there's body cam footage of dozens of party, uh, panicked party goers. Oh, not that, you know, it wasn't in, it wasn't in the, uh, newspaper online. It wasn't, I, it wasn't anywhere except in court. And I really wanted to see that because that would have been pretty fucking cool. So what had, um, come up repeatedly, I was told after the trial was um, my pellet gun, which I kept on the stairs to the attic because that was the place that the least amount of people around the house would go to um, because it was a creepy attic. There was no light at the top. So if you open that door, what you would basically see is a creepy stairway to a creepy attic with barely any light. So I figured the best place to put the pellet gun <clears throat> to stop any nonsense with it was right there on the steps because people are going to look past that and I covered it up with a bunch of um, papers like I believe the owner's manual to my bicycle was the biggest thing on top so it was anyway it became uncovered during the search of the house you know where the cops found my sex toys and um, so the defense apparently kept going on about the pellet gun about the gun about the gun so they brought me in at the very end of the trial only to say yes that's my pellet gun and yes that's where it always was that was it um i asked the detective i go why in the fuck did this guy just not plea bargain considering they have absolutely no defense whatsoever except someone grabbed their phone and he said yeah this is um this is very strange even as a detective to see this. So I went in and I did my bit and um, the jury, I guess they deliberated a while, which didn't make any sense to me, but that's how it goes. People don't really want to put people away, but where the fuck was I? Holy shit, sorry, I got lost. And a red-tailed hawk was flying around outside. Not that talking to you isn't the most important thing ever, but it was a red-tailed hawk flying right outside the window. So, And um, so they kept going on and on about the gun, so I did that. And the jury deliberated, and it came back uh, guilty on all accounts. So, and when I'm in there testifying, I look over at the guy, and he looks like, um, I think they were in their 20s, but they looked much, much younger. And just slouched in the chair sideways fiddling with a piece of paper and I'm thinking man this <laughs> if it was me going to trial on a murder charge I would be paying attention to every fucking word that was said but nope not this doofus anyway it uh, obviously didn't work out the way they anticipated going to trial instead of pleading because they got um, they got hit up with every charge guilty all the way across the board uh the defendants went to the prosecutors and said just there is there's a death penalty but it's um in a moratorium here in pennsylvania so they said just waive that let's just get it over with you know you're not going to kill them anyway so let's just get it done 
and then that's it. That's the wrap-up. That's murder at the mini mansion. Um, and if you had anyone killed in your house, feel free to chime in in the comment section. Okay. And as always, uh, living large and hard. I throw up a link on my Facebook page, Mike or Max Marvin. I also have an Instagram. Just went to New York yesterday. This is in early March to a uh, graffiti show that was on graffiti on trains from mid 70s to mid 80s. A guy took a shitload of pictures. That was very interesting. So I'll do pictures of stuff like that and graffiti on the actual street. Weird stuff that I see up in coal country where I drive around for work. And you can follow you can follow this podcast on SoundCloud. You can also subscribe on iTunes. And let's let the uh, incessant hum of traffic on 309 just kind of lull us on out of here. Bye-bye.